Hi, good evening. Welcome to the Nile Boylan podcast. Joining me this evening is Ivor Cummins, a man who's been shouting for the move from the rooftops for the last 13 months. He's a biochemical engineer and also a problem solver for the last 30 years. Uh, good evening to you, Ivor. How are you, Niall? Great to be here. Ivor, I suppose, is it great to be here? Here we are. The last time we spoke was about three or four months ago. We were in the same situation we're in now. If not, actually, I think it's starting to get worse. The hysteria has grown. Of course, we've seen in India over the weekend uh, the number of cases. The news has made this a sensational story, even though they're not taking into consideration the population of India. And if we're talking the population of Ireland and India, we probably have pretty much around the same cases, the same amount of deaths. Yet this story has overtaken the news completely. Is it getting worse or better? Well, the problem with this virus, SARS-CoV-2, is it's kind of rolling its journey around the world and it's hitting seasonally in Northern Europe, as we saw, complete lack of any action all summer. But then when you get India and Mexico, you know, and regions like this, they don't have the sharp winter high, summer low seasonal effect for viral triggering. So they've got a more undulating effect. So India now, they've had a very low deaths per million. So, I mean, if you take the UK at around 1,500 deaths per million, mostly aged and comorbid, uh, India is tiny compared to that. So, in a sense, it sounds harsh, but they had some triggering coming. In other words, are you, are you suggesting that they've kind of escaped the worst of it uh, up to now? And unfortunately, they've been hit by a wave because up to now, their deaths per million were at 161, which was actually probably a third of what Ireland's been at. So have they escaped the worst of it and kind of just been hit now with it? Essentially, yeah, because at the end of the day, the virus is going to virus. And depending on your seasonality, your humidity, your temperature, your vitamin D status and many, many other factors, the virus will either trigger in a wave and curl over or not. So we saw Eastern Europe, they got no original April 2020 epidemic and all these (laughs) poor, sad people, unscientific, were saying we did a better lockdown and masks, but they didn't. Uh, They just didn't trigger. And then what happened? Well, in this winter resurgence, many countries who had an original wave didn't see too much action. But the Eastern European countries suddenly became the worst in Europe overall. So it's all a kind of a fantasy. It's it's an illusion of control, lockdowns, masks. But but your detractors, your detractors would say, well, hold on a second, Ivor, it's well and good saying that lockdowns don't work. And yes, we know there's been many published papers that say they don't work or they have little effect. And there are published papers that suggest that they do. But if we didn't go into lockdown, they'd say, Ivor, well, maybe more people would have died. We never, we don't actually know that, do we? Well, we use a thing called science to answer those questions. And the fact of the matter is that Uh, Professor Karl Popper on proof in science uh, did some amazing work and he went through the concept of black swans. So basically, if you have a hypothesis, let's say that lockdowns greatly reduce death, well, then you will see that that's the case when you actually examine the data empirically or with your own eyes and analysis. So the problem is, if you see one scenario where lockdowns do not work, the hypothesis is over. It's dead. I know know there was research only last week from Massachusetts University to suggest that social distancing didn't work, that it didn't matter whether you were six feet or 60 feet away, or it didn't matter whether you wore a mask or didn't wear a mask. But of course, some of the experts, inverted commas, will tell us that, well, of course, a mask makes some difference. If it doesn't stop it, but certainly it makes some difference to these tiny little droplets that might come out of your mouth when you cough or you Mm -hmm. breathe. So 
everything makes some difference. A butterfly's wings on the far side of the, the planet make some difference. The question is extent of difference, impact, cost, benefit. So what the world of science has done is ignored all of what I just said. And they're talking theoretically. You can't run an intervention for public health based on theoretical possibilities. You run it based on robust science and quantification. So the masks will stop droplets, uh, but the problem is it's aerosols and tiny, tiny aerosols, smaller than the mask mesh, that actually get deep into the lungs and cause the worst infections, have the biggest effect. Counterintuitive, tiny droplets, way below anything. The other thing is the masks, if you suck on a vape device you can demonstrate easily i've, I've seen those All demonstrations of, online yes yeah and it's not about the size of the particle it's a demonstration of empirical reality what happens is most of your breath won't go through the resistance of this pair of underwear it will shoot out all around so people show videos showing when you cough and sneeze a jet goes forward but with a mask it only comes out the sides and it looks like the mask helps but it's not the jet that matters it's the general aerosols and i i I, I know that we're saying that there was many published papers that say that masks don't work but more yeah. recently in the last 13 months they have produced evidence observational evidence they say that masks do work now i suppose and the argument always is it's a bit cliche but if it saves a life and saves one life isn't it worth it i would probably disagree with that it's probably not worth it but where are we going to go from here because we see all the time for example a case in the papers last week where two nurses fully vaccinated working in a care home um got covid or tested positive for covid let's call it that tested positive for covid and yet they stopped residents or visitors coming to the nursing home so if we're going down that road and we're saying that vaccinations do stop you from getting symptoms but don't stop the spread which seems to be what they're indicating by making that or making those kind of cautious suggestions well we're going nowhere aren't we we've been going nowhere for 12 months now and going nowhere fast the problem is that the virus will do its thing sadly and it is very sad this is a tough virus there's a vast uh, preponderance of evidence that suggests it's laboratory gain of function that created it because of its four key uh, attributes, which would never happen in nature or they're highly improbable. But now that it's out there, it's a nasty virus. And unfortunately, it's going to largely do its thing, whether we like it or not. What we've done is created a whole infrastructure of kind of nonsense uh, on top of the virus problem. But I mean, are the, yeah, but when you say it's nonsense, are the intentions of world leaders and health experts and SAGE and NEFIT and all these other organizations, are their intentions not in a good place for public health and to save people's lives? Yeah, well, I'm 30 years in hardcore corporate problem solving and I never got paid a penny for intentions. I mean, intentions can take a walk. You're judged by the effectiveness of your interventions, the quality of your science. So I don't really care what their intentions are. If they're doing the wrong thing, then, then that's it. That's all that matters. That's all I care about. So if we look at the Great Barrington Declaration, and we have some great modeling papers out now, I don't mean the junk from Imperial College. I mean good modeling. And it shows that if you manage to suppress the curve somewhat, which are lockdowns, because they will have some effect. You'll actually maximize the overall COVID death in the elderly over the long term, because you'll prevent somewhat community immunity developing. 
And that's better than any vaccine. I have nothing against vaccines, but what's much better than vaccines are the vast hordes of the healthy who will not die or end. You're talking about the under 60s. Under 60s broadly, unless you've got, you know, stage four cancer or immunocompromised or... So what you're suggesting is what Professor John Lee suggested to me last week when I interviewed him on the radio. And he said, personally, he's speaking, he didn't believe, for example, under 18s need to be vaccinated because he would much prefer if they got COVID than get vaccinated because they would have better immune immune systems. In relation to the zero COVID people, um, of course, I know you don't like them. And, let, and let's, be care- off my jacket. <laughs> let's be careful we don't mention any names here, all right? But we know who <laughs> that we're talking about, okay? The people who are constantly promoting zero COVID. Some of them are scientists, some of them are lay people with just a lot of knowledge, similar to yourself who know a lot about data and logistics, et cetera, et cetera. And they're basically saying, if we can get the numbers down to 10 cases a day, which I believe is an impossibility at this stage because the horse is bolted, but if we can get down to 10 cases a day, keep the borders closed, and every time we have a few cases, we track and trace and we stop the virus. Is that a possibility? No, it's a nonsense. It's complete anti-science. You cannot control a respiratory virus that is now ultra endemic. So this is way beyond the initial endemic phase. It's basically everywhere. Think about it. Even in Ireland with a low impact relatively and no real excess mortality over, say, 2018 or extra mortality over expected. I'll come back to that in a second because prime time, of course, ran a piece of that last week. But even even here, we hit nearly 30 percent positive in the winter resurgence in late December, early January. Now, the thing naturally curled over by February and the ICUs emptied out. But we hit 30% positive. And last April, we were hitting 20-something. This thing has been all over Ireland. It is part of our universe now, the whole of Europe. It's going to surge seasonally. And every time six or 12 months go by and the season triggers, you're going to have a new group of elderly who were quite healthy, but 12 months later, if you're 85, that's a long time. So you're going to have very, so very... So in other words, yes. So we're going to keep replacing the vulnerable with more vulnerable as people yes. get older and sicker. And, 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 and I get that. As happened but, with flu. But, but then that, that comes back to the question, and different scientists have different answers as to how long this virus is going to be with us. Influenza has been with us for a long time, um, and it's epidemic. I mean, how long do you believe, or from what you've heard from experts, science virologists, epidemiologists, etc., how long do you think this is going to be with us for? Well, indefinitely now. I mean, think of it like a stone skipping on a lake. You know, you fire a stone and it gets a big bounce, maybe a second bounce, and then it goes to a load of small bounces. Well, that's the seasons for Europe going forward. We had the big one in April, another big one in the winter resurgence, and Eastern Europe got their first one. Um, But it's going to now rapidly diminish as time goes on because you've largely become endemic. But there will be a new crop of aged susceptible or stage three cancer people who go to stage four, whose immune systems collapse. There'll always be people. But so are you, so be- you're just saying it's another virus we're going to have to deal yeah. with as human beings. So it is extra I- mortality. Well, if it wasn't next year, this is going to be smaller again, regardless of medications or vaccines, it would have been anyway. And if it wasn't this, it would have been H1N1 or H3N8. I mean, do you think we'll have a will we will we have a COVID-23, a COVID-28? 
Well, if someone makes another one in a lab... <laughs> do, um, do you really believe that? Because, well, I mean, there's numerous stories that it came from a bat, it came from a lab. I don't think we'll ever get the answer to that, will we? Well, again, there's only one way of finding answers that are reasonable, and that's science and probability. So I did a podcast with Gabor Doshi from Hungary. He's kind of a genius in immunology. And he went through the four key features of the spike protein. And, you know, the furin cleavage site and the other key features. And each one is around 100 to 1 against occurring in nature. But it could happen. But the thing about uh, unconditional probability, if you have four things that occur that are independent and each is 100 to 1, you got to multiply them up to get the overall probability of all four occurring. And that's 100 by 100. Okay, that's 10,000 by 100. That's a million by 100. So the problem is that the features of this particular virus are overwhelmingly likely to be have come from the 30 year old technology of lab gain and function uh, in laboratory mice. And this is 30 year old technology. The only reason something like this hasn't come up before is because there's ethical rules and laws against doing the work. Otherwise, it's easy. Do you, do, so you think, think, do you think social media has played a huge role in the way we're reacting to COVID-19? Like, for example, if COVID-19 had to come along in 2006, uh, before swine flu, the last swine flu was 2007, 2011. Uh, do you believe that social media has played a role when we see constantly at the very start of this, we saw hashtag close the pubs, hashtag close the schools, and this pressure politically that's been put on politicians around the world to react immediately. For example, I remember the very first video that went out of people enjoying themselves having a drink the weekend before Paddy's Day back in 2020 and all of a sudden this video went viral of five or six people getting pissed and all of a sudden it was hashtag close the pubs hashtag this mm. do you think that's putting pressure on people and do you think social media do you think we'd be doing what we're doing today with lockdowns restrictions if it wasn't for social media uh, no i don't think you could quite pull it off now also this never would have happened if there wasn't certain international organizations like wef who and all if they didn't exist and each country had to manage it this never would have happened it was the centralized control and panic mongering that caused it but yeah social media back in 2006 no one would have bought this now if you had complete capture of all of the print and television media in 2006, which they didn't, and they didn't have it in 2009 either with the swine flu. But if you had full capture of, of legacy media, you might pull it off. But uh, I think this one, no social media. And in the New York Times, there was a huge article in April last year where they saw there were something like 50,000 Chinese Twitter accounts, and they were all screaming at Italy that they were murdering their civilians. So there were a lot of organized propaganda campaigns as well back in March, April 20. And these are just facts and they're in, they were even in the mainstream. So, yeah, the fire was fueled. We basically created a kind of a, I don't know, that, that whole, what was that thing in Massachusetts? The witch thing? Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you'd say. Yeah. Salem's lot. Yeah. yeah. We, well, I was thinking Salem's lot for a minute, but that's Stephen King. But no, the whole the whole witch trials, we, we've created a mass hysteria and it's been fomented by government. And the more government like Sage in the UK had a lot of psychologists and the documents are released, they're public, but they planned on creating fear and using all media forms to create fear in the public. So they'd follow the coming rules. Well, they've done a good so job, they, haven't they? I they, mean, they... I, they I mean, realistically, if all the restrictions and all the lockdowns were lifted tomorrow, there's still a high proportion of the population 
who would still go out, wear a mask, keep their social distance and would be terrified to go to a pub or a restaurant. So from that point, do you think we've socially conditioned people to fear death? Oh, I mean, socially conditioned. We've had the biggest uh, propaganda campaign for 12 months that's ever ever been done in history. I mean, 1930s Germany, I suppose, when they got full ownership of the radio, you could compare it in the run-up to the war. But outside of that, this is unprecedented. I mean, what so role has Irish media, the Irish media? Let's stick to Ireland for a moment. I mean... You've got radio and TV, you've got independent radio, you've got obviously the state broadcaster. I mean, what role have they played? And I know you don't have a huge amount of faith in RTE. And last week you attacked their primetime program over the statistics they gave out in relation to excess deaths. And you believe that the data they used was misinterpreted. Explain that very briefly, if you can, about the misinterpretation of the data that was used for excess deaths. Yeah, absolutely. So what they did is they took, uh, and the key point is you can only compare compare in Northern Europe respiratory seasons, which is like you can pick October to September and that encompasses the winter spike properly. So you can only compare year to year. What they did is they took two full seasons, 2020 and 21 recently, the winter resurgence, and they basically lumped them together in a kind of a two-year mega compare and they compared it to the average of the last five years now there's another golden rule you don't break you don't compare a bad year to the average of five you're always going to get a relative difference you compare it to a nominal bad year in the preceding so 2017 2018 would have been a bad year here in ireland 2017 2018 we had trolleys up the wazoo we had few newspaper articles we had leo varadka on television begging nurses not to go on holidays for christmas that's it but if you compare 2020 to 2018 it's the lower death for the whole year and the spike in april 2020 in terms of the death increase the classic flu curve it's around the same as 18 in size and number so this 2020 is completely comparable to 18, but no one knows that. And if you take uh, January 21 and compare it and the whole of 21 when we have the data, it's going to be even less than 2020. This is the reality, but they didn't do that. They lumped two years and compared them against an average. And that's the kind of junior cheating that like we would have caught a junior engineer doing that and thrown them out. Well, the, 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 the expert that they use for that data analysis, actually, on Twitter, you asked him and he did say that your figures were correct. Uh, now, yeah. he obviously interprets it differently to you, but he says his figures are correct and he says your figures are also correct, which leads me to believe somebody is wrong in the way they're interpreting it. And I saw your graphs and I don't believe you are in this instance. But in, in relation to politicians and the role they've played, in it, particularly here in Ireland, they're almost like a popularity competition. We have Leo Varadkar speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Um, we have Stephen Donnelly, who many other politicians in the independent uh, politicians have said they don't believe he's fit for the job. We have Michal Martin, who's relatively quiet, apart from when he produces himself to stand behind a podium once every couple of months to tell us how long more we're going to see a light at the end of the tunnel or we're in the final furlong. That's always a good uh, statement he makes. So has anybody actually done a good job? Um. I'm trying to search here and find something positive to say, but no, I mean, Matty McGrath kind of called it last year, April or May, but he was ridiculed. Pad- Padotobi, um, 
Uh, Michael been, McNamara has mm. done a sterling job and he chaired the COVID committee until they began to ask awkward questions. And last September, they disbanded it because they were asking awkward questions and holding Neffet to account. That's not allowed. So otherwise, I mean, Leo is a, a cunning guy. In fairness, I'll hand that to him. He tends and, to speak uh, from both sides of his mouth and want to be oh, popular, yeah. but then rolls back and, and toes the line. Yeah, but, but Leo is is uh, featured on the World Economic Forum website. And the oceanographer who did those dodgy numbers uh, or dodgy interpretations, he's on the World Economic Forum website. So every time you scratch any of these guys, guess what? It goes back to WEF. But I mean, Hall Martin, I mean, I don't bear him any ill will. My wife's from Cork and he's a Cork guy and he seems like a nice man. But he should be removed from that position for his own safety. I mean, he's he's a baby handling barbed wire. He has no clue of the science. He's just fed kind of horse manure. Well, he's a spokesperson he for the state, essentially, isn't he? I mean, okay, where are we where are we going now? For Neffet. Well, yes. Where are we? I mean, unelected representatives, Neffet, yeah. who are now running the country. So, where are we going from now? Can you see us ever getting? I mean, I did hear Bill Gates the other day on the TV in an interview on Sky Television saying uh, July 2022. Uh, let's not bring Bill Gates too much into this because I know he's probably the most hated man on the internet for some strange reason at the moment. But when do you see us getting back to normal, or do you think we will ever get back to normal again? When I say normal, the normal, not, I, I don't even like using the words the old normal because that is normal. Uh, the old normal is normal. It will always be normal. It will never be the abnormal. There is nothing scientifically but going back fully to the what you call old normal. This thing has had an impact, maybe twice a severe flu, rough and tough. And that's being fair. Two or three times max. There is no justification for not going back to the old normal. And in fact, we could have done it. The ICUs in Ireland curled over hard in February. The all-cause mortality was below normal by the end of February. This thing now is pretty much over for nearly two months. And here we are in level five, talking about slowly opening. It's nonsense. The seasonality is so powerful. But we are, but we are protecting the HSE, aren't we? Because that's what we're being told. No, they, they just, you're protecting an empty building. I mean, Elvis has left the building months ago. So you, you, but, but, a fantasy. But, with, but with the restrictions that they have, we can't go back to having, you know, 18 hours on a trolley and, you know, trolleys lined up in corridors because of social mm. distancing and all that kind of thing. Um, so they have restricted the numbers they actually allow into hospitals now, essentially. Well, that caused a problem, by all means, during the winter resurgence. But now we're months gone from that. So now they have nothing. They're protecting nothing right now for six, eight weeks, essentially. I mean, that's the fact. The Irish, I look at them every day, the Irish ICU and hospitalization. It curled right over like in February and, and it's sat on the floor since. Positivity of PCR has sat on the floor. I think they have a long cold period well summer mm -hmm. a long dead period until next october and they're trying to fill it with lockdown and the fantasy that lockdown and masks are somehow keeping it low we saw last summer in ireland and england in cornwall millions descended on cornwall they were practically on top of each other like an orgy what happened nothing you cannot make the virus trigger when it's not in a triggering period and here we are, though, they're they're pretending Holohan is back again the other day talking about being on the knife edge. 
Or tipping point. Tipping point is a good a good cliche they use all the time. Tipping point. Well, look, I am for those listening on Twitter at the moment, just to let you know what we're doing. This is an experiment of some sorts. It's the first time it's been done. I'm interviewing Ivor Cummins, not only on video, which will be posted tomorrow, um, but I'm also doing it on. um, I think we've lost Ivor there. We'll get it back in a second. Oh, it's okay. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, We're also doing it on um, Twitter as well. And we're going to have the audio as well. There'll be a link up to the audio tomorrow. But because we're doing it on Twitter Spaces, it's a brand new thing. Um, some people might be familiar with it. There are probably about a thousand people there on Twitter Spaces at the moment. I didn't realize you could get up to a thousand. If anybody wants to ask any questions, all you got to do is go to the bottom of Twitter, uh, where you are at the moment in Spaces, and just request to ask a question. So I'm going to go to, let me see, Dave O'Shea, I think it is. Uh, Dave, are you there? You can speak. Hi, Ivor. I've been following you for, I suppose, the good of the year now, and have tried to, uh, my, my circle of friends, to get them to listen to you as well and just listen to facts. But I have a kind of an odd question for you. Um, November 2019, I was laid out for three days. I was at a soiree and, as I said, pretty, pretty poor for three days. Rang my doctor. She's quite a fantastic South African. And she just said that I had a viral infection. Do you think it was in the country late 2019? Right, very good. No, and I'm delighted with that question because that came up in discussions recently yet again. So I think what we saw in October uh, 2020, just recently, we saw a rise of the viral triggering and then a slump and then a proper rise, if you will. And I think we saw that in 19 as well in many countries. So we saw in Italy, there was a blood sample taken from hundreds of cancer patients. And they saw in October, November, a very high PCR positivity for this virus. But no one was really measuring then. These are archived samples. And then it went right down in January 2020 to 2% positivity, very low. And then it took off. So I think we're seeing this kind of dromedary or a kind of an initial, initial surge of triggering and then a, a kind of a lull and then a takeoff. So I would guess, given that the first man in the UK died in December, he was sick, and that's in the record in mainstream. I think, yeah, that the virus washed through Europe and we have SARS-CoV-2 in human sewage in Brazil in November 19. So I think it was doing its thing, moving through the population, but not really triggering. So we saw a hump. We saw some people get sick, then a lull. And then the full uh, kind so of it's quite possible. Trigger. It's quite possible, maybe that people, um, for example, who were diagnosed with dying of pneumonia in that January or yeah. February, may yeah. have actually had COVID nineteen. All right, okay. Yeah, like the guy in UK, Bard, they had retrospectively tested and identified him, and I don't think the media and even some of the authorities were too interested in looking back to verify what I just said. In Italy, lucky we had that zero positivity study on the cancer blood. Uh, but but and in Brazil, the sewage in November, they identified SARS-CoV-2. But we don't hear much about it because it doesn't work with the narrative. OK. Right? Uh, any other questions, by the way? All you got to do is uh, press your request button to speak. Uh, thanks very much indeed. Let me just go to um, I think it's Matt. Hi. Yeah, um, I've, I've actually been following you for uh, a few years, actually. And um, I wanted to ask a question related to the, the thing I initially sort of tuned into your podcast around, which is. You know, you're um, obviously the, 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 the whole thing around diet um, and, and how this massively impacts on, on COVID and, 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 and just what you think 
<clears throat> a public health guidance should really steer us to in in, in the future. Okay, it's a good question, Ivor, because, of course, before COVID-19 came along, you were very involved in promoting healthy diets. So, I mean, I'm not suggesting our diet would cure us of COVID-19, but can it certainly help our immune systems, I suppose, is the point? Or is that something we should be promoting well, more? Yeah, your, your immune system, so metabolic health pretty much equals immune health. They're almost synonymous. So you hear this nonsense from people saying you can't improve your immune system. Well, you can't magically improve it with some kind of silver bullet pill. But if you, SARS-CoV-2 virus is massively linked to your insulin resistance, which is type 2 diabetic dysfunction. And the majority of Western adults now have some level of type 2 diabetes or insulin resistance. So if you fix your insulin resistance and drop your insulin levels, your immune system is going to take a massive hike in capability. And we know this. So the reality is we also know that if you switch to meat, fish and eggs for just four to six weeks, if you're a type two diabetic and you cut out all the grains and all the breads and all the sugars and all the vegetable oils, we know for a fact from published studies that type two diabetes will regress in around 60% to 70%. You've just summed up my diet there, by the way. (laughs) All those sugars, (laughs) all those sugars. Listen, thank you very much indeed, Matt. Let me just go to... um, Sorry, go ahead. So that's the key thing. I I reckon um, I I said at the start of COVID last April and I interviewed Dr. Ron Rosedale and others to talk through this. The reality is if you magically took away all the food supply last March and there was only meat, fish and eggs and vegetables available, uh, COVID impact would have fallen through the floor because suddenly people would all be regressing from diabetic levels uh, back to low glucose, low insulin, and their immune system is going to work vastly better. So that's life. All right, well, listen, we are still taking questions. All you got to do is hit the request button if you want to speak. Up to 10 people can speak at the time. As I said, it is a, an experiment on spaces on Twitter. Probably the first time you'll ever hear a radio show being conducted on Twitter. Uh, and by the way, don't forget the video of this and the podcast, the audio podcast, will be put up over the next day or two as well. So you'll be able to see it and hear the whole thing again. Um, I'm going to go to uh, Michael O'Sullivan, I think it is. Michael. Yeah, just a question for Ivor and I, like, because obviously you think we shouldn't be in lockdown, like, but, like, do you think the government, like, do you think the government are, like, evil and they, they're on a power trip or are they <laughs> stupid? Because I see some people thinking, like, they're evil and they're out together, so they want us to be locked down forever. Okay, well, it's, well, it's a good question. I mean, Ivor, you yeah. know, I tend to promote no lockdowns. You tend to promote no lockdowns. Mm. So, in other words, what's the purpose of it? So, do you think the government are doing this because they're evil, or so? Or is there other some other reason why? Because clearly, it's costing the government a lot of money. So they wouldn't want to do it. Yeah. But so, why are they doing it? If, if indeed well, you're telling us all the data is there to suggest that it doesn't work. Mm. Well, it, it, yeah, you shouldn't confuse evil with stupidity and ignorance. Um, and it's quite clear looking in from the outside with all the data and that the benefit of that to see that it's stupidity and ignorance. You got to remember the politicians ended up in politics and not because they were technically oriented people. It's actually the opposite kind of talents they would have had to go into politics. So for a start, never give a politician a technical problem. So what happens? Well, they listen to the advisors. Like, you know, literally, they just parrot what the advisors say, and they always will take the safe option. So you mentioned, Niall, that they don't want to lose all this money. But remember, it's not their money and it's not their problem. It's our money. They're burning our money, not their money. 
They'll be out in a few years with pensions. They don't need to worry about the massive debt. That's our children have to worry about that. So let's just be clear on that first, right? If it was their own personal money, they might be different. So they're listening to the advisor. So then the question becomes, why are all the advisors saying this nonsense? And the thing is, there's just an enormous international group think. They have married themselves and wedded themselves to the concept that lockdown is saving us, and they ain't never going to admit that that was a mistake. That's why the great Barrington professors last September got attacked with a violence that I have never seen for a similar topic. They do, they were discredited, which which I find bizarre that you would, I mean, you may not want to agree with them, that's fine. Uh, but mm-hmm. what happened was trying to discredit scientists, reputable scientists who have spent years getting their qualifications, and yet other scientists, um, you know, from Ireland, from NEFA, whatever it is, we believe them and we would never try and discredit them just because they have a different view. Okay, we'll, we'll take one or two more, by the way. All you have to do is click request if you want to speak, if you're on Twitter Spaces right now, for all the people who are listening now on Twitter Spaces. Mark, how are you doing? Niall, how are you doing? How are you doing? There? Yeah, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, Oliver, how are you doing? Very interested to listen to your talk. Um, yeah, you were talking about, like, the media and the agenda. Like, why would the media hype things up? Who gains from this? Like, the people in the media are on lockdown too. So they can't go on holidays. They can't go to restaurants and they can't get a beer. So, like, who gains from all this hype? Like, I'm sure they don't want to be sitting at home because they're on fast wages in a lot of these places. They, you know, So I, I, there's parts of this I don't get really from being honest, you know. Yeah, and it is the one thing yeah. that confuses me too. And mind you, the country is broken into three financially. Those who have made money from COVID-19, those who haven't changed because of they're on a pension or unemployed in the first place, and those in the private sector who've been decimated, restaurants and hoteliers and everything else. But from a governmental point of view, again, the question, what are they to gain from it? Mm. Well, the simple thing with the media is uh, there's a few effects there. One is the word was handed down last year. Uh, the Broadcasting Authority funded all media, nice cash money to create hysteria and to run round the clock out. I don't so necessarily agree with that, Ivor. I mean, I work in independent radio and yes, independent radio has been decimated because all our advertisers are all closed at the moment. So yes, the Broadcasting mm. Authority has given some money to radio, to independent radio stations from the licence fee, but it's not a lot of money. If you saw the amount of money that's being given anywhere between forty and 90000 on two occasions to each independent radio station, that's not going to pay the wages for half a month. So what I'm saying to you is it's, it's not making up for the losses. Most independent radio stations probably losing 70%. I understand they're making money back on the ads for the HSE, the ads for level one, two, three, four, five lockdowns and those kind of ads. And that's what's keeping them, that's keeping them alive. Yeah, so, so it's not mega money. It's not briefcases under the table. Don't get me wrong, but it's bloody money. And the money is there to sell the message. So they're going to take it. You don't turn down that when you're under pressure. But also from the top in terms of the organizationally, the media and the owners in the media, the message has been made very clear that this is a crisis, a pandemic. We're all in it together. So they know the messaging they're meant to say, even without money. Now, then you've got the fact that a journalist can send out a sensationalist article parroting the latest fear, and he can do it in 10 minutes. Imagine he wants to write an article questioning the narrative like real journalism. He's going to have to spend several days and work really hard and cover his ass because he knows he's going to be attacked like Barrington. So what choice? You have a choice on Thursday morning. Knock out a story of sensationalism 
and you can go off and do something else in the afternoon or spend several days, right, researching an article that goes against the narrative and then be obliterated by your colleagues and possibly don't get your contract renewed. Mark, so wait, Mark, are you still there? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Mark, when we listened, for example, over the weekend with, you know, what's happening in India. And by the way, all deaths are sad. There is no doubt about that. Anybody dying from yeah. any virus is sad and nobody wants to minimize yeah. that. But when we hear the story of India, you can't deny the story has been sensationalized because at any stage when you heard that story over the weekend on BBC, on Sky News, or anywhere, did they mention the fact that their their population, say, comparison to Ireland, is 244 times the population? So hence, they will have at least 240 times, 44 times the amount of cases and deaths. I mean, they had 2,400 deaths yesterday, which seems like a lot of people, and it is a lot of people. But realistically, we had eight or nine. And if you multiply that by 244, you're going to get 2,400 or in and around that figure. So they're pretty much the same as we are. So has, did anybody mention that in the news over the weekend? I didn't see anyone mention that. It's worse than that. I'm looking on Worldometer right now as we speak, and Europe is up at 1,300 deaths per million. Now, the real excess mortality is lower. That's with PCR. But India is at 100. So India is 13 times lower than Europe's total so far. They have a lot of catching up to do. And again, I'm sorry to say it, but India is the type 2 diabetes capital of the world, to my earlier point. They've been very lucky so far, but it's not to do with lockdown and masks. Because remember, India had no lockdown, no masks, and they went nearly a whole year with no problem. Now, whether they have lockdown or masks or not, the virus is going to do what it's going to do, sadly. But they're currently starting from 13 times lower than Europe. I mean, they can get a lot of, of, of okay. impact, sadly. And they're still not going to get anywhere near Europe for a long time. So what's with the articles? Mark, what do you, why do you think, Mark, that the governments are doing this? Why do you believe the media are showing us maybe one side of the story? What, what do you think the reason is? Uh, <clears throat> see, when you start going down this road, Noel, it sounds like conspiracy theory sort of stuff. And, and <laughs> I don't want to, you know, it, it, and it's very easy to sound nutty when you start going anything like that. But... If, if if this is all hype and it's not needed, I don't know. It, it just seems it doesn't make sense. Because no, it doesn't. I don't think a lot of it makes sense, to be honest yeah, with well, you. But that, that, I always look at the hospitals, and I for me, the, like, it's about basically uh, the reason why I think they take the route, the road that they take. In my humble opinion, is because I don't think they want to have a choice in, a, in an ICU hospital where it holds two hundred uh, in total for the country, and then you have. They don't want a doctor having to make a choice between a 50-year-old and a 30-year-old. Or, or maybe we're down to our last bottles of oxygen. They just don't want to let it get that far. That's that's where they want to stay in control. Okay, that's, okay. Just yeah. uh, thank you for that, Mark. And let me just let Ivor answer that question. Sorry. Yeah, you got you got to be careful though here, Mark. It, was that ever the option? And the reality is it wasn't. So when you think about it, in April 2020, the big epidemic that's much bigger than this winter, by the way, in mortality, did you realize that 19 out of 20 who passed away with COVID were never given an ICU? They were too aged and frail. 95% of the people who passed in our figures were never even given an ICU. They never left. They never left residential care or their homes. Yeah. 
So you got to be really careful here. That's a fantasy situation. Sweden with no lockdown, no masks, and kids up to 16 in school went through this whole epidemic with a much lower impact than the UK and the same impact as Ireland when you account for their aged demographics. Okay. That's a fantasy you just said there. It never happened. There's only a couple of places in the world that came under pressure. Italy uh, being obviously one of them, the first. New York, northern Italy, northern Italy, northern New York, uh, a few more. And now, and, now parts of, and now parts of India, which I'm sure reporters are being sent to yeah, the far reaches of India. Under, they're under facilitated. I'll say one more thing, Niall, I just really want to say. Last April, we had a problem. Now, I said Sweden was the same with no lockdown, no masks, and that's a fact, right? They're the third lowest in Europe for deaths. But if we had a problem and the experts wanted to help us all, what would they have done last May when the virus de-triggered for the summer? They would have expanded the facilities and they would have cross-trained paramedics to be kind of ICU-like people. They would have expanded the system for next winter because they were threatening us about next winter. You know how much they expanded the system that would care for people. You know how much they expanded it? Well, you could tell me. Zero. Zero. They did nothing to prepare for the winter. Nothing. They just sat on their hands, waited till October, and then locked us down. Now, what kind of fate does that show? Let's go to, um, we'll just take two more. If you want to request to speak, by the way, on on spaces, all you got to do is press the button and request to speak. I'm speaking to Ivor Cummins. Um, We're talking about lockdowns and COVID-19. And it doesn't matter if you disagree, by the way. I welcome anybody who wants to disagree. You're quite welcome to do that. We're going to go to Macker, I think it is. Macker, how are you? Hey, Ivor, how are you? Um, I just want to go back um, to the the point in the media, what you said about, say, the social media and mainstream media um, what about like um, uh, subscription media such as uh, say Netflix like what was the big thing that was on Netflix before this kicked off oh pandemic and contagion and then when this all kicked off all you ever heard was oh Jesus this is like pandemic this is like contagion you know like do you think that played a part in the subconscious of people's minds yeah. like being afraid well, You're not suggesting matter. it was intentionally done in some sort of conspiracy, but you do believe it played a, a role in socially conditioning or subconditioning people. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there have been several movies since Swine Flu, uh, one with, uh, oh, I can't remember, but pretty famous actors. So they've been stoking pandemic fear for many years. I wasn't familiar with the Netflix one. Uh, Contagion, I've seen. Which is so accurate, by the way. It's it's quite scary. I know it was made back in two thousand and twelve. I think. Yeah, they don't help. They're fine once you don't have a scenario like two thousand nine swine flu or like this one, where myriad powerful organisations it's in their interest to create panic and fear, uh, like we have seen. Uh, those movies are great fun when they're escapist, but I'd agree they're dangerous when it turns out that some bad actors want to game the system so you know i don't think it was intentional but i think it's it's a long line in the last 10 years since swine flu of of feeding the fear of pandemics remember ebola i know i know okay let's let's just let's just i I have a load of people here but i'm just going to take one more if i can all right let's just go to i think it's aba architects very good quick question 
about the source of the virus. Um, Ivor, do you want to say something about it? Well, I think Ivor's already addressed that, the source of the virus, and he has addressed his theory on well, it. Well, okay, well, specifically, Dr. Fauci seems to have been involved in some way, and uh, or maybe it's not appropriate to talk about it, I don't know. <laughs> well, but I, just I, very I briefly, Ivor, again, on what you said earlier on very, in relation to the source. Very briefly, yeah. Uh, the nature of the virus, I use the best people in immunology because I'm not going to spend all my time going deep. I could, but I, I so I, I leverage. So I have a podcast interview with Gabor Doshi, who's kind of a genius, to be quite honest, and others have agreed. And that podcast, we can send a link afterwards. People yep. can look themselves in the site. It's, it's on your own website, uh, The Fat Emperor. Yeah. If you look up um, uh, Ivor's Twitter account, you'll see it there. I'll just take one more. I'm going to go to Declan or Kev. Let's go to Kev. All right. Kev, how are you doing? Kev Tyler, I think it is. Yes, I'm here, yeah. Go ahead, Kev. Uh, Rhyme of is going after the PCR test. Um, do you think it's worth the paper it's written on? Yeah, I think he's got some very good points. I mean, I've covered this extensively. The PCR test during an epidemic surge is a reasonably good metric to watch what's happening because most positives are real positives and they're at low cycle counts and they're mainly infectious people broadly. The PCR is an unmitigated disaster in a case-demic or in the summer where your ICUs are not full, where you don't have a lot of viral action or illness, and then the PCR is used as a tool of terror. So they're the two scenarios so Fulmic has a lot of good data around how weak the PCR is, how uncontrolled it is, and, and lots of problems with PCR. People should have been using rapid antigen. I mean, if PCR, let's say doing nothing, you know, you're in a certain situation with this virus. Using PCR gives you around 30 times more data by testing people. And rapid antigen gives you around 26 times more. So in other words, rapid antigen is practically as good as PCR and better in many ways because it only finds infectious people. So antigen should have been used, not PCR. Well, they say antigen testing is probably about 97% accurate provided you have some symptoms, even if they're very mild. Whereas PCR antigen testing, if you have no symptoms or you're asymptomatic, they reckon is only about 70% accurate. Would that be correct? Well, Antigen will will catch more infections than are real, but it's very good in generally for identifying truly infectious people. So truly infectious people, you're massively likely to get a positive result. All right, the this. only gap, the only gap is a day or two when you're pre-infectious, when it's coming on you, you might just squeeze a negative. But the point is rapid antigen is, say, 25 times better than doing nothing. PCR might be 28 times better at 10 times the cost and with a two-day wait instead of 15 minutes. From an engineering uh, intervention perspective to manage this kind of issue, no-brainer. Okay, do, we'll take one no more uh, because I just want to take Noreen because she's been there a while and we'll wrap it up on Noreen. So thank you to everybody else. Noreen Murphy, I think it is. Hi, Niall. Hi, Ivor. I hey, have. Um, how are you? I was just wondering about um, if someone doesn't want to get the vaccine, but they want to know that they're immune. I saw that there was an IgG test being offered in Dublin, but is T cell immunity a better, a better one to go for? Okay, this is antibody testing, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. 
So you're right, Noreen, your classic antibody testing for IgG, um, many people, a couple of months after they have the infection, your body naturally gets rid of most of the antibodies. Otherwise, we'd explode because we'd be keeping antibodies for every infection. Make no sense. So that's normal. Mm -hmm. The problem is you can get a negative antibody test if you had it a few months ago. T-cell, you always have it. So if you can get hold of a T-cell test, it's way better. And there's also... And are they available? Is there a T-cell test? Oxford, Oxford are doing one, but I think it's research only and not to be a conspiracy theorist, but I said last May or June, we need T-cell like mother's milk. We need T-cell now. And I saw some companies talking about it and then silence. So I don't think T-cell would help the narrative. Okay, Fine. just finally, uh, Noreen, sorry, why, why do you not want to get the vaccine? I'm just curious now. Um, well, I have a lot of underlying conditions, but it's actually a friend of mine who just went to it together. Oh, it's a friend of yours. I, I, okay. I have a lot of um, uh, reactions to all sorts of medications. So I, and I have a lot of underlying conditions. So I would always just shield myself from my family wouldn't come near me, you know, during the flu season. Yeah. You know, I'm active. So mm. uh, that's what we were doing at the active part here. But uh, they didn't want to break lockdowns and all the government regulations. But, I, you know, I'm bedridden, so I know the way of seeing my family. So um, I, I just want to, I'd, I'd like to know I had it because I did. No more than your first caller. I had an awful dose in the December, January. Yeah. 1920, yeah. And a lot of yeah. people did actually around that time. A lot of people had a really bad dose of, uh, some people, pneumonia, the flu back in early uh, 2019. I'm losing track of time. Now, 2020, should I say, end of 2019. But listen, thank you very much indeed, Noreen. And Ivor, I really appreciate you taking all the questions tonight. Thank you to everybody, by the way, who took part in the experiment tonight. Uh, the first ever kind of radio show or talk show on Twitter Spaces. Twitter Spaces is only new. I don't think everybody has it on their phone yet. They seem to have selected a few people like a beta testing. So thank you to everybody who was listening. There was thousands of people actually there listening on on the Twitter Spaces. But um, thank you to those people who took part and asked a few questions and all very civil as well. Uh, Thank you to you, Ivor Cummins, for taking the time to talk to us tonight. Great stuff, Niall. Anytime. Good night.